When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What up, everybody? I'm going to initiate a call to action for everyone to donate $1.99 so that you can access the back catalog of the podcast as well as to help your podcast grow. I'm trying to grow the podcast and I want to do that with you guys and make it better and brighter and bring you more information. So if you want to access the back catalog and help support me as an artist, I appreciate you. And please donate at anchor.fm underneath Lockdown Universe. Thanks so much and enjoy the show. What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to Lockdown Universe, some of the bizarre, peculiar, and unheard of stories of UFO legend and paranormal lore. Welcome back, welcome back. Happy to be back. Hopefully you guys are doing well and taking care of yourself. So today we're going to talk about a very interesting encounter that one whistleblower states he had while working for uh, an area down in Sandia Labs as well as Los Alamos. Now, <clears throat> this goes back to uh, Emory Smith and the Gaia episodes uh, where he talks about the one time he broke protocol. <laughs> Breaking protocol in secret government operations is a big no-no. You know, you have to be very compartmentalized. You have to be quiet. You have to pay attention to your project, and that's it. And what's interesting is he talks about how you're not allowed to even make friends with your coworkers. Uh, there's not to be any outside of work engagement with anyone. Um, a lot of times they're flown, you know, they have to drive to the airport, they're flown into their location, flown back, and then they go straight home. Um, the only conversation you're allowed is, is to have a, at lunchtime when you can have like passive conversation, not about work, but about like the weather or sports or something like that. That's about it. Emery decided he was going to make friends with one of the higher up supervisors on, in, in, uh, his base. Uh, they were about the same, you know, same age relatively within a few years. <clears throat> they both love sports, they both love mountain biking, and they decided that they were going to, you know, have some extracurricular activities outside of work. So they uh, had barbecues with their families together, they uh, engaged a lot, and, and basically became friends over a period of years. Um, not right away, but over time, uh, they engaged enough to become friends. So, you know, Emery was already working with very highly classified information, highly classified projects. He knew that were extraterrestrial, that he was taking tissue samples and, and even, uh, from bodies and from ships um, and giving them to his superiors and that kind of thing. And it basically moved him up to working on different projects. Now, what he stated was that there are some instances where you may not be part of a project but a high enough supervisor can take you into another project room you know and and you know talk about it now that seems 
pretty unlikely. You know, I mean, given the fact that everything's supposed to be very compartmentalized on a need-to-know basis. But if you have somebody high enough up, right, they, they, they can use their thumbprint and eye scan and DNA to walk in and bring you in with them, um, even though it might be against protocol. This does happen from time to time. Um, however, if you're doing it in a top-secret base with alien stuff in it, chances are you're likely to get busted for it. And that's exactly what happens. So let me paint the picture for you so you get an idea because what he saw was an amazing craft that is unlike anything I've ever heard of before um, in an area of a base that is so bizarre, you have to hear it to kind of understand it. So Emery's walking with his, his I think he was a general or a supervisor uh, is what he said. Let's just call him the general for, for purposes, make it easier. So he's walking with the general, uh, even if he may not be a general. He's walking with this his friend, and <clears throat> he um, his friend said, Hey, you know, I, I'd like to show you something because I want you to become part of the project. I think he was supervising this other project, so he had access to it. And he wanted Emery to eventually become part of it, so he kind of wanted to show it to him, see if he would be interested in it. Um, and Emery thought that that was fine. Because this is his friend, he's a supervisor, seems to be high-ranking enough to do what he wants on the base. But, that being said, maybe not. So, he takes him to this blast door in the base that is 24 inches thick and opens like uh, an elevator door would. Um, but, the, think about that. These the, the metal on this door is 24 inches thick of solid steel. Uh, each door. So it's like four feet of door with two doors in it, right? Um, which is crazy to think about. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's like the height of a small child, you know, so it's pretty tall. Or maybe a small alien, right? Uh, the small grays. So um, so there you have the, the blast door. Once he gets through the blast door, there's this catwalk. Now, this is really interesting. Because I don't know what the purpose would be necessarily. However, there must be one, um, maybe for protection. But this catwalk, as he walked out onto this catwalk, he noticed that he was in this humongous area that was like a tunnel. And there were other doors that he could see out in front of him in this tunnel, about seven of them. And in this tunnel, from each door, led a catwalk to this humongous sphere that was basically just hovering in the middle of this bottomless pit tunnel that he was in. So imagine like a bottomless pit, right? Imagine like Star Wars, right? Where Luke and Darth are fighting and, you know, he looks below him and it's basically a bottomless pit. It's kind of like that, but on a much larger scale. And they had the catwalks like that as well. But the catwalks for about, were from about seven other doors. And he didn't know where these doors led to. Um, as he didn't see them in, in the base. So um, so there's about seven long catwalks, and the catwalks are like, I think he said they were 100 feet. It was 100 feet from the other blast doors. So he went through one blast door, goes down this 100-foot catwalk, which would terrify me, uh, and, and with a bottomless pit on e either side, and then gets to another blast door, which is the exact kind of blast door that they just went through, except this, this blast door allows them to go into the sphere. So they go into the sphere, and within this sphere, they see uh, a huge white room. Okay, so inside the sphere is a huge sphere on the inside, but it's, it's a white room 
on the floor is uh, white metallic tiles that are six feet in size, and they're the same uh, a hexagon shape, almost like a stop sign, but a hexagon shape. And um, they were white, and he he felt like they must have some sort of power or levitational capabilities to keep what he saw were two ships somewhat afloat in front of him. So he noticed that there's two uh, tetrahedron-like ships in front of him. Uh, imagine two pyramids attached at the base. So you have a pointy end on one side, you have a pointy end on the other. So two pyramids attached at the bottom. Uh, one facing one way, one facing the other way. Now these two craft were cut in half. And what he noticed was each craft was very, very similar. However, one was made by humans and one was an alien ship that they were re reproducing and re-engineering or reverse engineering. So you had two cut in half ships and these ships were white um, they were solid, uh, and super, super, uh, you know, futuristic is not the best word I'm trying to look for, but high, highly, highly, uh, evolved technologically. So the general said, Hey, come inside. I want to show you what they look like on the inside and how they kind of operate. So he brought him inside of the human created ship to see how it operated. And what they found was when he got in there, there was... A, a very reclined molded seat that was like molded into the ship. Um, there were two uh, reverse glove-like apparatus on both arms, arms, uh, armchair sides. I guess you call them wherever you put your arms, uh, the armrests. And so you'd put your hand into these glove-like um, apparatus, and there was a ball inside where you could control the ship. Um, and some of the information that uh, would appear on the screen. Now they had a humongous screen in front of them, kind of like on the Star Trek Enterprise is what it kind of looked like in the reproduction on the video. And what they were able to do is they were able to go anywhere on the planet in this uh, replication. So it was basically a training simulator to be able to fly the other ship is what it seems like, um, unless they were eventually going to make this thing into a, a complete operating replica of the other ship. So as Emery was able to sit in this chair, he was able to look at the screen and he stated that it was interesting because the screen could show you anywhere on earth and it could take you anywhere up to the moon as well. It could take you inside the moon. He didn't say what he saw inside the moon, but he said it could take you inside of the moon. It could also take you into the deepest depths of the ocean. And he, he stated that he believed that all of this information was accurate. Um, even though many of us aren't privy to what's actually in the ocean, um, he stated that it, he believed that the government utilized like a Google Maps, um, you know, video camera to find all of the visual information that's in the oceans to be as accurate as possible. Maybe they took the information from the other ship. I'm not sure, but he stated that he didn't feel like it was like, a movie made reproduction of what's under there uh, under the ocean he believed that it was actual legitimate information that they used in order to train these pilots um, 
for these ships and how to navigate them correctly. Um, so he stated everything was, you know, accurate on world or on the surface of the planet as well. Um, so he said, imagine utilizing Google Maps times a thousand and putting it in virtual reality. And that's kind of what it was like. There was holographic information that appeared on another screen and, um, you know, a visual representation of your geographic location on the, on the main screen. Um, he stated that it was quiet as a pin drop inside. It was very white, uh, you know, in color on the inside. Some, some light blues as well. Um, but what he noticed was, while they were working and talking together, in the middle of what they were talking about, the doors opened to the ship. So they had shut the, shut the doors on the ship, and they opened. And he stated that when they opened, they gave off this strange vibrational sound, almost like uh, wiggling back and forth x-ray film, you know, kind of like a thundery kind of sound almost. And he said it kind of frightened him a bit. And what frightened him even more was the fact that there were four guys in suits uh, coming up the stairs to get them, or whatever it was, stairs, ramps, or whatever it was. He didn't stay. He didn't say. <coughs> they came up. They took them by the arms. They separated his friend from Emery, and um, they put those black hoods over their faces. They zip-tied Emery's hands together. They brought him into an interrogation room. And what's interesting is, like, this time they were actually, like, physically assaulting him, um, which they didn't do to Jonathan Wagant when they did the exact same thing to him, um, the guy from my original podcast. Um, they didn't beat him up, even though, you know, he was an active-duty Marine out on a mission, and, uh, you know, they took him uh, with a black helicopter into an interrogation room and did the same thing, asked him a bunch of questions, but they didn't hurt him. In, the, in Emery's case, he stated that they hit him in the back of the head, which you don't want to do if anybody's seen uh, Dark Knight Rises. The Joker says to Batman, you don't hit him in the back of the head. Everything gets all fuzzy. Their memories start getting all screwed up. So I don't understand why they would have hit him in the back of the head. But they hit him in the back of the head. They hit him in the stomach. Um, asked him a bunch of questions about how long he had known about this project, what he knew about it, um, how long he and the, the general or his friend were friends for, that kind of information. And he stated that these guys were, looked like they were uh, altered DNA, um, half-human, half um, maybe, maybe some ET blood in them or ET DNA, but they looked really big, like bigger than, bigger than Emery, and Emery's pretty big, um, intimidating. Uh, they were all white with blue eyes, um, but huge, strong, big, tall, um, intimidating. And so after, after they interrogated him, they let him go. They let him go back home. They said, go home. Don't talk to anyone. We'll call you when we're ready to have you come back. So Emery's thinking, great. I'm totally done for my career. Everything I worked for is done. I didn't even think I was doing anything wrong. Uh, my friend who was a superior took me in there. Um, and I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. I thought I was getting initiated into another uh project. Meanwhile, apparently he wasn't, uh, or apparently they didn't have the authorization to do so. Uh, he stated he never saw his friend again in his entire life. So what the heck happened to this guy? Because I mean, Emery's not even in, um, 
in in the projects anymore. You know, he's a civilian now. So, you know, he should be able to locate his friend. Did they disappear him, you know, like they can do? Did they do something else? We don't know. Um, but what's interesting is after, after um, a day, you know, resting at home, he's thinking my career is over. Another day goes by, he's resting at home. Uh, he decides to go out for a bike ride um, to see an area of land that um, they do some of these, uh, some of these tests uh, on the aircraft with. And he's like, well, I want to see if there, if I can see any, any additional info, you know, I might not get this chance again. They might kick me off. Uh, they might make me move. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. So he goes up there, checks out some, checks out a portion of the base where he knows that they fly these aircraft. And when he got to the peak, um, he, he got hit with something that was like, um, that made him immediately sick to his stomach, like his stomach was on fire, um, that it was twisting his stomach in knots, gave him a headache, super nauseous, um, that he was barely able to make it home. Um, he basically had to coast down the mountain that he was on, down on his bike to get home and uh, recover for another few days. And he felt like it was a, uh, a scalar weapon, like a vibrational weapon uh, that could be used uh, at extreme distances. It could be used through the earth to hit somebody specifically a specific person in China if they wanted to, he states. It's that specific. So he feels like not only did they beat him up, but they also used the scalar weapon when, you know, he went to go explore a little bit more. And, you know, they were probably keeping tabs on him. They probably knew exactly where he was. They probably, you know, even if they didn't chip him, you know, with a GPS tracker, they could probably figure out where he's at with his phone or any other any other type of technology that they use, they use or have. So he really got the brunt end of this, but I think it, it is interesting to look at the the fact, you know, in kind of covering this this episode comprehensively, going back and looking at the fact that he was with his, you know, uh, friend who was a superior, uh, that he thought he was doing the right thing, clearly wasn't. He saw this amazing, bizarre location in the base, right? multiple catwalks that are hundreds of feet out um they're 100 feet out a piece so each one was 100 feet out and this thing was like dead center this sphere room and then inside they had this bizarre craft that not too many people have seen before so what do you think about this you think he's telling the truth you think it's accurate why would they need this room to be totally separate from all these other rooms does it, did it have the capability to explode and they were concerned about that so they brought it to this room? Why would they try to make a replication vehicle when they have a vehicle that may work already? Why are we always trying to replicate every single craft? That seems bizarre to me too. It seems like maybe we should just replicate a few, not everyone, and just use them for that. But I don't know. You know, I'm not a scientist. I don't know. But uh, maybe you guys have the answer. So anyway, I thought this was an interesting topic, podcast, bizarre room, bizarre craft, uh, bizarre circumstances, and the fact that he never saw his friend again. Uh, and the fact that they did bring him back, but on, you know, a more limited, uh, you know, an, an tighter leash after he came back to the base and came back to his position. So I'll leave it at that. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the podcast. 
Hopefully you guys are enjoying your weekend. Hopefully you guys are taking care of your physical health, your spiritual health, your emotional health. You're following through on those hobbies and your goals and your dreams, whatever they may be. They don't have to be as big, you know, as, you know, Elon Musk or something like that. They can just be your own small dream. And as always, continue to question the universe around you. Till next time, guys, take care and Lockdown Universe out.